How should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. Obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. Thank you for joining me today. Got an important thing you just saw there right out of the gate that Tim Truth shared this morning that it was uh, good on him, actually, because I that was from the actual, I believe it's still live, in fact, the, the recent advisory meeting from the FDA with Pfizer and other doctors stepping in to ask questions, you know, the process that's usually supposed to happen before all this stuff is given, but a very interesting admission, right? Of course, there's nuance to it as always, but the fact that, and by the way, that statement that you just saw in the opening, that's been sort of admitted multiple times already, but it's interesting just to see it. So and the point is that average people would never expect that to be stated that, you know, we don't really know how it's working, but we do see a response. So therefore take it. <laughs> it seems like a pretty ridiculous thing to say. Shouldn't we find out why? How do we not know for sure that something else isn't causing the response that's in there and not necessarily, you know, science, but very revealing the way this is going forward. Now, this is going to be a shorter show today. I don't use, I've tried not to say that lately because I end up going far too long and I'm probably going to regret that again today. We'll see how it works out. But I made a point today to make this a, a truncated show. I have a bunch of stuff that I'm trying that I want to do on a specific, like maybe like a Rockfin Super U platform thing where I go over some research stuff, kind of what I used to do a long time in the back in the day, T-Lab R&R, where we'll go over some documents and a couple of other things. It might not be today. I'll let you know at the end of the show if I remember. But ultimately, I want to get into some stuff like that and, you know, engage with you guys more in the chat and answer questions and and potentially lean this lean that into or transition that into something we can do for roundtables and try to raise funds for both T-Lab and other independent media out there that are in the same position. You know, where we're tirelessly trying to beat this stuff back and at the same time being attacked financially and functionally in every possible way from people that don't want you to see the truth. So that being said, I might be doing that today. If not, it'll be happening soon where we can engage more and, and try to help, you know, raise awareness and everything else. On that, on that note as well, before I get to the last point we'll get into today, I wanted to make sure that we take a moment out there and let you all know that uh, that uh, Star is having a pretty rough time right now. For those that know in the chat, she's struggling with some health issues, not in no way even remotely connected to anything that you could tie to COVID. It's other things going on, but it's, it's just, I was just speaking with her yesterday and it's just, you know, one of those times it seems that, well, at the end of the day, I just want everybody out there to, like we did the other day, just send out your positive energy, your love and your healing energy to Star because she is a, tireless part of the last american vagabond fighting for the truth to get out as well as the clips that she makes of the shows and everything she just is a huge part of this and it's hopefully something that she will get through but i want you guys to help us put out that healing energy out there but i will try to keep you posted as much as I, she would want me to obviously so you guys know what's going on but now we're going to get into this topic today and discuss the fda discussion but we're also going to focus on a very interesting overlap from something that was 
interesting. They got a lot of interesting focus because of the slap, you know, that ridiculous, nonsensical, meaningless story that happened. It took a lot of attention away from other things between Will Smith and Chris Rock. But it was because of her alopecia that that suddenly, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith or, you know, what I think that's her name now. They got all this focus. And now weird, all of a sudden they're coming out with an alopecia drug. That also treats COVID, but that's, I guess that's not supposed to be on the focal point. It's very weird, but at the same time, it also increases your risk of heart problems. No big deal there. It's like we're trying to simultaneously cover up a problem while allowing something to make it look like it's not as bad, while not acknowledging that approved alternatives are supposed to be a reason the emergency authorization goes away. But we'll get to that and <laughs> just count the many contradictions, double standards we see going on today. But we'll also talk about an interesting uh I guess a survey It's not, I wouldn't say it's absolutely it's not absolute. And they would say that themselves, but it's a very important kind of control group survey of people that chose not to get the injection. You won't be surprised what they find out. And a quick point on monkeypox and some interesting, horrifying revelations around the injection. They're still trying to give to people. And then potentially uh, the last point that I'll make, and then potentially we can talk about some more stuff on other channels, but we'll see how we do towards the end of the show. Now to start off, I wanted to, Shout out a, a, a quote that somebody sent to me, a quote that people use a lot, the latter half of the quote. But it's nonetheless very important for us to remember and read the entire quote. So thank you. You know who you are who sent this to me today or yesterday. But this is from George Orwell, like so many relevant quotes are today. It reads, quote, we have now sunk to a depth at which resent, uh, re, excuse me, let me start that over. Quote, we have now sunk to a depth at which restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. In times of universal deceit, telling the truth will be a revolutionary act. Now think about that. Think about how each sentence in that quote is so incredibly relevant to where we are right now. Obviously the first part, not to necessarily call myself an intelligent person. I'm not the kind of person that pats myself on the back, as you know. I don't even say my name in the beginning of the show. But the point is that it's obviously what we're seeing that it's our show specifically just repetitive, just over and over. We have to continue to point out the obvious because every day it comes back over. Oh, we're talking about masks again today. Didn't we put that to bed? It doesn't matter. So we have to step back up, can get the information again, go over things more than once for the 15,000th time and make the point again. We've now sunk to a depth at which restatement of the obvious is the first duty of people that are fighting against the control structure. He goes on to say, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Now, what? that's free speech. That's exactly what that's another battle being held right now. That obviously free speech does not have limitations as much as that's hard for people to hear. Doesn't mean that there's not some very terrible things that could be said. The point is they're words. You remember that whole thing when you were in kindergarten where words, sticks and stones, they break my bones. Remember that? <laughs> I guess we all forgot that today, right? But the point is that these things are important, that you need, as he says right there in the same way, that you don't believe in free speech if you don't defend the bad speech. The right to tell people what they do not want to hear. And that's both just words and what they mean, but also information. So important. But thank you for that quote, because it really is important to where we are. Now, one quick point on censorship I want to make. The only reason I, this is so unimportant to me right now, I hate even using Patreon's name in this, but the point is that people are still interestingly donating to Patreon. I, the, I don't even know why somebody would be, I guess, you know, people have a hard time watching all of my content. I get that. They're long shows and I do them frequently. But I hope people can hear this. Help people see this. Patreon is stealing from me and you. 
This is what started it. Obviously, I don't want to. I'm not trying to call her out. Thank you. I don't want to say your name on the show for donating because you care. But you you missed the part where Patreon is not allowing it to get to me anymore. I just noticed that she updated her donation from three to ten. She probably saw a recent show where we're saying, "Hey, we need support." Jumped on Patreon and updated it. But of course, Patreon didn't tell her that we're censored and they won't allow me to get that money. They sure as hell scoop it up every month. Don't give it to me. I've heard from many people. You know how I know that? I hopped on the platform. And I sent out a mass message to all of the donators and said, guys, don't stop. Remove your account from this. Stop letting them take your money every month. It's not coming to me. And it went out. I got a whole bunch of responses. I showed you that the other day. But guess what? I went back in to try to send. Oh, dang it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to show her name. Anyway, uh, the point was that I jumped back. It's right there. Son of a gun. I'm sorry. That wasn't intentional. The point was I tried to jump back on to send her a message to say, hey, don't do that because they're going to take your money. And look. I've refreshed this a hundred times. It just won't load. Here's the main page right here. The message grouping area. Now, there's yes, I am censored on the platform, but the whole point is I'm supposed to be able to correct the action. Interestingly enough, after I sent the mass mail out that said, stop, guys, they're stealing from you. They just weirdly glitched out my ability to comment anymore. Obviously, either they want the money to keep coming in so they can take it or they don't care or you, you fill in the blank. They're still, they're taking money from people that keep donating, not letting them know that I'm not using this. And now they're not even allowing me to communicate with them. Just let that sink in the level of criminality, the level of deceit we're talking about. It's a, it's very unsettling. Oh, just on, on the note of censorship, I found this to be pretty interesting. Twitter and the whole dynamic, right? And remember there was a time when, if you just happened on Twitter and made a comment that said there are only two genders. You would be instantaneously censored and, you know, slapped on the wrist and put on timeout and, and you know, given speeches and, and you have to go you have to try to make jokes. The idea that they put you through some kind of process, right? You have to learn that you made a wrong statement. You're a bad person for saying things we don't agree with on Twitter. Just ridiculous the way that they try to socially engineer how people think. But what's interesting is this person is a uh, congressional candidate which shouldn't make it any different, but simply jumps on the platform and says it today. Actually, on the 13th, two days that's been up. I just find that quite interesting. You should, of course, be allowed to say that. Of course, I agree with that. I think it's pretty basic scientific fact. But nonetheless, people have their own opinions. <laughs> you can decide that we live on a flat earth if you want, a flat earth if you want to. You know, you're allowed to make your own opinions. The point, of course, that comment's going to flip people out because, oh, he's a shill now for the flat, non-flat earthers. The point is, guys, that this is interesting that it's still there today. Now, Elon, remember, is not, it's not what's going on right now. They're still in control of the people that had it before. But yet, for some reason, it's either not being focused on. Maybe now that we point at it, it's something's going to happen. I hope not. I'm not calling for censorship. It's the last thing I want. But it's interesting that it's there still. Things are shifting. Things matter only when they want. Like, the focal point is on other bigger things right now. But what's interesting is somebody then jumps in and says, there are about 72 genders at the time of this tweet. It's not that hard. I'm a Gen Xer. I will understand it. You don't have to educate yourself. You have to educate yourself. Well, what, because somebody told you that's what you're supposed to think. Now that's educating by just absorbing that thing. It's not a fact. There's obviously more going on here. And anyway, but here's the point that I include this for. Just maybe just start off with something funny that probably is wildly offensive to certain people that can't laugh at the joke. But this person chimes in with a very, my kind of joke, says, actually, they're 73. You forgot to add transparent, you know, for those who were born invisible, but now identify as invisible, or born visible, but now identify as invisible. Pronouns are who and where. <laughs> oh, that was, gave me a good laugh today, just because it's such a, it, everybody should be able to laugh at that. It's not meant to be insulting. It's meant to make fun of the where the world is at today. I think that's hilarious. Nonetheless, the point was this. 
I'm interested to see what happens there because why it's it's the real point is inconsistent logic. If it was in if it was like the fire on a theater, like right out of the delete it, delete it, delete it, like right away, and everybody was testing the waters. We remember when that was happening, and now it's just not. It's they're inconsistent, and I do not want censorship. Should not be a thing on these platforms. Now, moving over to the important part of the conversation, I think one of the two important parts of today. We just talked about this yesterday under the show that was entitled The Ukrainian Narrative Collapse. The Ukraine Narrative Collapses along with COVID-19, which will add to those the COVID part of it today. And a 2004 HIV SARS virus that's highly infectious. Now, actually, I should have included, and I will, that link, the study around that specifically. Now, where was that? Here we go. This study right here, I believe. Just so you know which one we were referencing, this is the one that, that Stephanie Seneff we've had on the show pointed out this is from 2004 and it very clearly says an interesting you know just question to pose to permit the analysis of the host range and entry mechanism of SARS-CoV so SARS not SARS-CoV-2 but the first one SARS which is a coronavirus we incorporated the humanized SARS-CoV spike protein into HIV particles to generate a highly infectious SARS-CoV pseudotype virus so the simple question is as she posed is that potentially what we're dealing with right now is that potentially what's, you know, there's a lot of real questions that should be asked. That's gain of function research, quite literally. That's actually, you're making it more infectious. You're creating something new, which is bioweapon research and making it more infectious. So now it's gain of function on top of that. Nonetheless, the point is that this is dangerous. Remember, they outlawed this kind of research in 2014, but didn't really though, because they just outsourced it to Wuhan and other places in China and kept doing it. And they still are today. Oh, no, no, no. That's EPPP research, Ryan. You don't understand. No, you just changed the name. That's all that happened. Still gain of function. Everybody sees that. It's really ridiculous, actually. But the point is that this should be something that we ask. Is it possible? It's happened in the past. They've made mistakes. Things have leaked out. They've said that themselves. The CDC admits to one leak every three days for seven years straight around Fort Detrick. We've talked about this. That's their documentation. We're talking about Ebola, coronaviruses, things like that. So is it not possible that this happened or was used or stolen or on and on and on? So the point was just simply posing an important question that it could be something quite a bit more alarming than what they frame it as. Oh, and then here, I'll play this little clip, actually, because this was just the thing I played at the end of the show yesterday. It's from a documentary, but just simply posing the idea that plenty of experts have said, and Kerry Mullis himself has poked into the, the, the stated narrative around HIV and AIDS and what really happened there. Then Hamilton heard a story from a journalist. The journalist believed that the AIDS virus had been accidentally created by American scientists in the Congo in the 1950s when they were testing a polio vaccine. The Americans had set up a laboratory to make the vaccine by growing it in the cells of chimpanzees. And the journalist's theory said that by doing this, the vaccine had become mixed with the chimp version of HIV, which then entered human beings when they took the vaccine. Hamilton was fascinated. He was convinced that the scientific establishment were trying to suppress the evidence because it was a challenge to the idea that modern medicine was always beneficial. The medical profession and the scientific background to it doesn't like the idea that this might have been a human mistake. My fear is that it's going to become harder and harder to investigate this type of hypothesis that has big implications for what I would call big science uh, because people are going to be afraid of it for reasons of litigation, for reasons of losing their grant. 
Right. So losing money and influence, right? Which is where we see where we are, where we are today. And even the WHO and plenty of others called that out a long time ago. We're going in a bad direction. doesn't matter. Now, that's just a hypothesis. Just simple questions we should be asking. But there's plenty of other highly credentialed, highly regarded experts in the world that have said the same. Plenty of them. How about the idea of Harowitz's book, Emerging Viruses, and the concept of that research that I've mentioned before? And the same point, by the way, that this is not some, it doesn't have to be some grandiose, you know, conspiracy theory in the way that they want to frame it. That was the, the guy is this depopulation. Now, is that possible? Of course it is. There's plenty of reason to consider those possibilities that they don't want you to think about. But just consider the possibility that it was just experimentation that went awry. Maybe to the point to where it went awry and they weren't even aware that it went so that it got out or was infecting certain things until it got out of control. Then what do you do? We know we've seen what the government does in situations like that in the past. They cover it up. They hide from it until it later comes out and they quietly admit it. Tuskegee and so on. And oh, we're apologizing 47 years later. It's ridiculous. So why can't we ask why whether or not that's possible today? That's all it is. Possibility. Now, that being said. Going to the next part, which is what the part of today is. I wish I would have showed this yesterday. This is from 2006, a coronavirus-based HIV multi-gene vaccine. So there's plenty of examples of this weird crossover between these two concepts. This one I find even more interesting. Human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. Now, I'm going to clarify today even more so the idea between immunodeficiency and autoimmunity, something even myself, I've been a little bit too liberal with the two things together. They're different, but it's kind of like two sides of the same coin. I'll show you in a second. HIV represents one of the major health threats in the developing world. An efficient, this is 2006, this study says, an efficient vaccination strategy is required to prevent the further spread of the infection. HIV, they're still referring to the molecular biology of coronaviruses and particular features of the human coronavirus, 229E or HCOV-229E, indicate that HCOV-229E-based vaccine vectors can become a new class of highly efficient vaccines. Well, what happened to that? Apparently, apparently it didn't work, or maybe it did. Either way, or maybe it didn't work the way they wanted it to. The point is, there's a lot of this that was happening. There's certain questions we should ask. The idea of the, of intentionally combining coronaviruses with HIV in order to achieve something. Very interesting question to ask is we're now seeing vaccine-induced immunodeficiency or autoimmunity or whichever way you look at it. Okay, now here's what's interesting. What is exactly HCOV-229E? I was interested. I looked it up. Turns out, basically the common cold. But here's what's interesting to me. This isn't necessarily unique. None of this is some big bombshell, but these are things that most people don't know. And I find it very important, very relevant to the larger conversation. HCOV-229E is a species of coronavirus which infects humans and bats. Well, that's an interesting overlap, right? So it's it's one of the few, there's more than one, one of the few that that infects and in fact can be found in both humans and bats. So back in 2006, they used it to swap in with HIV and create some kind of vaccination process. Now, is that, not, is that not possible that that is literally what we are looking at today? And that's where the bat crossover comes in and the whole kind con- these are just valid questions that anybody with an honest perspective can go, well, that's interesting. It's certainly something we should ask. And it goes on to say it is one of the viruses responsible for the common cold. That also is relevant. You know why? Because remember the conversation at the beginning of this whole process? One of the bigger studies in the beginning was like, look, we some of the peer-reviewed research was like, hey, people that have common cold may have immunity. And then it got shoveled away real quick because they don't want you to think that. Vaccine, vaccine, vaccine. That's all we want to talk about. But they're still there. Common cold could produce immunity in regard to COVID. Well, why would that make sense? Well, there could be some overlap or maybe it's because of this. 
Just simply questions we should be asking. I find that to be interesting. Here's another one. Chloroquine, a zinc ionophore, inhibits the replication of human coronavirus 229E in cell culture. So not only does it overlap with all the rest of it, but interestingly, chloroquine and zinc also seem to work really well against it. Now, maybe there's no overlap with all coronaviruses. I'm not, I'm, I don't know. But I just find it an interesting potential question to pose that whether or not this or the other we're talking about or, or maybe the body of all the research ended up driving in the direction we're at now. Maybe it was used. Maybe it was leaked. Maybe it was accidentally let out. All the things that they'll happily discuss when it's in their own context. Very interesting. Now, on that note, well, actually, before I go past this, because these are these points are connected, but I just want us to think about the interesting question that this is posing. Of all, the, and these, I mean, as you've begun to see, people that have never even looked into this kind of stuff before over this process of two years of the COVID mania have begun to see that there's a lot of really alarming stuff going on behind the scenes. Stuff that maybe it's because we just don't understand it. That's certainly a possible, fair thing to pose. Maybe we look alarming because we're confused by it. You know, like like mid- medieval time people seeing electricity. Oh my God, that's crazy. It's magic, right? You would understand it. <laughs> Certainly possible. This is high-level technological stuff or scientific stuff. But it's also possible that we just recognize that this is problematic because a lot of other scientists and other experts are making the same points about how this is dangerous. What they're doing is potentially catastrophic, that it could alter the human species, that it could alter the safety of the planet. These are all very real things and people that, that would that just don't want to acknowledge the risks they're taking because they've seen them go awry. They've watched these things go out in the bottom of somebody's shoe from an e, e, a BSL-4 lab. If that's even possible, which it is, they've admitted that, then we shouldn't be allowing this kind of research for the hypothetical maybe one day risk of something somebody could do so we need to be prepared. You're, it's this, you know what's interesting right there? I just thought connected in my mind. That's the same broken logic around the injection. Right. Well, we the hypothetical risk that we're not sure about. So you should take this thing right now, which we know increased your risk. But we argue the risk over there is worse. But we can't prove that and we can't see it. So take this thing now, which increases your risk of lots of things. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Why would I increase my risk immediately? Am I guaranteed to get COVID-19? Is that even really there? Same logic with what we're talking about there. Right. Why would you jump ahead of that? Why would you increase your risk instantaneously for something that you're not sure that might happen? Or maybe you won't get sick for maybe you. On and on and on. There's an interesting overlap there. Anyway, my point nonetheless, guys, is that and oh, the, the, for the people that can connect it in your minds, we're talking about the gain of function logic, the, re, the saying that we need to make a vaccine for something that doesn't exist, right? Just in case it might happen. Meanwhile, your risk is wildly increased by the research they're doing, the gain of function research, making things more dangerous. What if it gets out? What if it released? What if somebody bad guy uses it? Right. So immediate risk increase for something that may never happen. That's the logic of the vaccine right now. They'll never tell you that. Anyway, the point is, guys, we should be asking these questions because a lot of very intelligent people, a lot of the very same doctors, they say their whole lives are now debunked because they stood up and told the truth are calling out. the. Not, and for those that might not want to associate AIDS with this, it's it's you don't have to. It, that's just the the remember HIV, as it says right here, is simply human immunodeficiency virus. That's all it is which immunodeficiency, a lot of things can cause. Now, oh, that's that's what it was. I got these mixed up. That's right. So that's what it was right there. So last point before we jump over to the next one, which is connected, is the difference between these two things. And it's important to understand this because, again, it's kind of this, it's basically immunodeficiency is ultimately when your system, immune system is not working, where it doesn't actually 
fight things off the way it's supposed to, which is what we know of HIV, right? You get you're susceptible to lots of different things, whereas autoimmunity is the opposite, like the extreme opposite reaction where it's getting too intense, where it's acting too much and it's hurting you sort of like or exactly like antibody dependent enhancement, right? Your, your immune system is the problem at that point. Now, one side of it, it's not working enough and the other side, it's working too much. So it's the same kind of idea. Now, both things can happen depending, or, you know, as I said, beginning, it's, a, it's basically like two sides of the same coin. Now, when we're talking about HIV or VADES, for example, we're talking about specifically the immunodeficiency concept as it, as it pertains to, to like the HIV concept. Now, that's being shown. We can see people dealing with the injection and immune systems collapsing and having these things happen instantly, getting all sorts of new infections, having all sorts of new problems. We're seeing this from the DMED information, from insurance companies, from doctors and their practices going, I've never seen this many problems. It's exploding. Bears and everything else being dismissed. We see that happening to people that are taking these injections and not realizing their bodies are being destroyed, their immune systems being destroyed. On the other side of that, we have the autoimmune, the autoimmune problem, which is also happening because of the injection. We see people who are taking, or let's say people that have natural immunity, who have gotten sick before, then they take the injection. There's peer-reviewed science that says that right there is a high-risk issue for antibody-dependent enhancement. Meaning your body then, because of your previous infection and the injection, then has an overwhelming attack on your body. As we've shown many times, as Fauci has said, is possible as plenty of people. All of this relates to the same problem. Now, all of that, see, just to, to clumsily associate that with, with AIDS is not fair. It's not accurate. That's because that's the propaganda around it. These things can be caused by all sorts of problems, vaccines being high on that list. That's important. And that's why we should ask these questions about whether they did this and are just simply not showing you that or did it on purpose and are using it against you. Certainly possible, but oh, conspiracy theory. We're not allowed to point out logical things. But to add to that point about why, you know, these are the same people, I argue, that are aware of that, whether they did it on purpose or not. You know, for those that want to put a fine point on it, as I've said just the other day, they being the hierarchy enslaving you. And it's, a, of course, it's a term that's broad and shouldn't be used as much. But of course, in this case, we're talking about the health agencies, the CDC, the FDA, the government, the people that are trying to hide potentially criminal activity. I mean, you could make it simple like that. You can just simply acknowledge that they know this could potentially be criminal. So why would they ever admit it? Why would you allow yourself to go to prison just to be like, oh, you got me. I lied. <laughs> Lock me up. They'll never do that. They will burn this thing down before they let themselves go get in trouble. Here, New York Post is, is reporting, FDA approves Approves, not emergency authorized, but approves a hair drug that can treat alopecia and COVID. <laughs> it is in the title, but it clearly is kind of a secondary point. Isn't that hilarious? Like, wouldn't that be the, oh my God, this can treat COVID. It's approved. <laughs> June 14th. But don't get too excited just yet because this is something that really alarms me. The FDA, the FDA is on Monday approved a drug to treat Severe alopecia, which in case you don't know what that is, it's simply people, it says right here, alopecia patients lose clumps of hair when their immune system attacks their own hair follicles. Their immune system attacks their own body. Starting to sound familiar? I thought this was pretty interesting. Here's what it says. Because this drug, the one that's alu aluminant, which by the way is not the Pfizer one, but they're, I'll show you why they're exactly the same problem. Pfizer's just around the corner. Aluminant treats the entire body for the autoimmune disorder instead of a specific location. Now, yes, we're talking about alopecia, but what's interesting to me is this drug treats your body for autoimmune disorders. 
Doesn't that seem a little bit interesting, the overlap? And then it just just so happens to also treat COVID, they say. Why does that even make sense? Why would they overlap? Why would you be taking a drug that treats your body for alopecia that just so happens to deal with a respiratory problem? This what they're calling it anyway, which there's plenty more going on around what this actually is. Isn't that interesting? Going forward, it says, quote, access to safe and effective treatment options is crucial for the significant number of Americans affected by severe alopecia. Right. Because in the middle of the biggest pandemic in a century, they call it, we're worried about people that can't grow hair. Right. Oh, we're so worried about them. Look, I'm not trying to diminish the problem somebody may have in their life because of alopecia. I feel bad for you because you can't grow hair. The frustrating part of this is that this is what they're worried about. We're to believe that in the midst of all of this, they're concerned about people that can't grow hair, that we have studies and research and we're doing. No, that's unbelievably ridiculous. This is obviously, in my opinion, about specifically two things. One, the fact that this thing just so happens to treat the problem they're causing. And two, it also just so happens to cause a problem that they're trying to cover up. Which is, well, here's first of all what it lists in this article, which they interestingly leave out the most important one. Side effects include, guess what, upper respiratory tract infection. So when you get COVID, not because of the thing, the mask you're wearing, not because of the injection, it's because you took that drug that increases respiratory. That makes sense. Headaches, acne, high cholesterol, weight gain, shingles. Shingles. Really? So it also creates a thing that is Ramsey Hunt connected. It's also the thing that could look like monkeypox. This is is a one-stop shop, it seems. It's a trifecta. It goes on to say, among others, and in in that among others, they leave out the most important thing. Before I get to that, aluminant is also approved approved for the treatment of COVID-19. You've got to be kidding me. Is that not, wouldn't, wouldn't that be headline news? I mean, I guess it kind of is in this post, but for more loud. Okay. So the third most important point is that they just approved a treatment for COVID-19. Guess what that does? It immediately disqualifies the emergency authorization treatments that are not supposed to be emergency authorized. If there is an approved alternative, that's that's a literally that's a statement directly from the EUA documentation from Pfizer and from the FDA. But we just did it. And they're still moving forward with the injections, not community, but the emergency authorized version. Anybody explain that? You don't need to. You understand it. It's very clear. Alopecia made headlines earlier this year when Will Smith rushed the stage at the Academy Awards. What a coincidence. Certainly could be. Maybe they just, you know, never let a good slap go to waste. But, you know. At the end of the day, it's pretty interestingly, it's not, it's pretty conspicuous. But here's the most important part. This is another page, just a forum uh, or a page for pharma stuff. It's Eli Lilly, by the way. That's also just an interesting connection to other things in the past, specifically Trump's administration. But, you know, I'll, I'll leave that alone for now. Lilly's all illuminant okayed in alopecia. And then it says with Pfizer in concert and hot pursuit. So I'll show you Pfizer. They're just, they're going to release theirs too for the same thing, by the way. June 14th. Now it says the JAK1-2 inhibitor, which is what this is, has been cleared for adults who are severely affected with condition at a dose of two milligrams once daily, which can be stepped up to four milligrams daily if needed. And according to the FDA, it will, quote, help fulfill a significant unmet need for patients, right? Because God dang it, we all need to get pear grown, right? We all need to make sure we don't have alopecia. It's the most important thing Americans are clamoring for, right? We all want alopecia to be dealt with. It's just, it's just ridiculous. So many important things going on. And this is what they're focusing on. The approval comes despite scrutiny, hear this, of the safety of the JAK inhibitor class, which includes the Pfizer drug, by the FDA. So the FDA said, Dad, this is pretty dangerous with a, with a risk of heart-related issues. 
So this thing they're giving you to treat COVID-19 is dealing, is increasing your risk of heart issues. So in my opinion, like I said, this is one, is is covering, or rather, uh, lost my train of thought the, uh, in regard to, so it was the, oh, so yes, to so the autoimmune issue, right? So it's one, to, to cover, uh, to make it look less the issue they're dealing with that their injections are causing on one side of it. But then on the other side, it's covering up the risk of the heart of the of the issue that their thing is causing in the real world, which is obviously the myocarditis and heart risk and everything else. Now, I'm not saying this is everything, right? The entire this is everything. It's all happening in this one discussion. But it's it, there's a thousand examples of how they're trying to subtly cover up the obvious risk that this is creating: the myocarditis, the blood clots, the heart attacks. It's, it's everywhere. And there's plenty of even mainstream people that are beginning to go, guys, this is just too obvious. It's too conspicuous. There's obvious connections where it simultaneously admitting it can cause this problem, but then dismissing literally every claim that it happened. Think about how stupid that is. The point is they're simply saying that the JAK inhibitor class in the FDA's mind is under scrutiny, but yet they approved it anyway. Risks of heart issues leading to warnings being applied to the labels of the drug itself. And the other drug, that's Pfizer's, which is called Zeljans. Zel, These names are ridiculous. But it goes on to say, Lilly and Insight may face competition in the not-too-distant future. However, as Pfizer has already reported positive results of its pivotal Allegro trial, which is a JAK3 inhibitor in alopecia, with a filing due this year, assuming a, compa- a companion long-term study called Allegro LT hits the mark in its initial readout which, by the way, is also used to treat COVID. Okay, so we're in a position where we can see a very interesting point here that it seems like these things, one, are being are being done at a time which doesn't make sense, at a time when it's going to be covering up a problem they're causing and making, and I guess in both ways, covering things up. Why does that make sense to anybody? And thank you to Ollie Phillips for pointing this out. I appreciate that, as he just quoted this. And again, which is funny, is they happen to leave out in the New York Times, in the New York Post article, the heart issues, which seems to be the most important part to me. It seems the only point they found relevant in this report was the heart issues. And yet it's the only one they left out on the other corporate media. Isn't that very telling? It is to me. There's a lot going on that we need to see. And as it all gets covered up, guys. I have a note for myself here. I knew I would forget. Let's see what I, what I, what I wrote down here. Oh, okay. I did say it already though. So the point was simply that we need to, that's, I'm glad I said it to reiterate this before we go on to the next point. Right now, if there is, and there is, they just told you an approved treatment for COVID-19. Now, and and I'll be clear, it did say in there that it's specific to people in, in hospitalized and so on, but nonetheless, the point is there's an approved treatment. And by the way, there's plenty of other treatments that were ivermectin and so on, but they will continue to use emergency authorization, even while they claim they've got an approved version. They're not putting out. None of that is even remotely normal, accurate, safe, effective, anything. If any of this was happening in a different situation that was not politically what they wanted, everybody would be calling this out. It's incredible. Now, adding to that, the reality, and thank you, Tim Truth, for posting this video. Again, he's on this. He was apparently watching it live and just dumped this video out while it was still live. So a great respect. Pfizer confesses to the FDA that this is the Pfizer guy. I'll, I'll let you play. I'll play it for you. They don't really know how the vax works. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Now, again, this has been a point that's actually been stated before. But I don't know why this is something that would stand for anybody, especially when you're forcing it on people. I think the original argument was sort of like, well, it has a reaction. Let's get it out there quick. You know, that's the emergency authorization logic. 
at the COVID is so very dangerous, which it's not. And they've all admitted that now, yet they still run with that as the first point. Therefore, we need to push this out, even though we haven't seen if it's completely safe because the danger is so serious. No, it's not. We're not in the pandemic phase. You say that yourself. We're obviously showing that this is less than the flu for the, almost everybody, especially when you don't factor in the elderly that died in the nursing homes and how you even that out and make it all look worse. We have PCR false positives. We've got, I mean, COVID va- vaccine issues being called COVID-19. It never ends. Uh, and, and and I think we can at least point out that it seems that they, I, I, I'm willing to bet that this is something this person's going to get in trouble for because it's quite an alarming thing to hear. Now I don't, oh, I did download it. That's right. Here, we'll play it right here. We think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells. Here, this is the opening. I'm just going to jump to the part where he plays it. There's a couple parts in here. And, I'll, and I'm, I, ha- I actually found it. it. Took me a minute, but I found it in the actual live video and I have it queued up just to make sure people don't think this is manipulated, which is a fair question to ask. Here we go. To be um, talk a little bit about your breakthrough disease and see if there was any um, difference. Cases that we've optimized the vaccine between the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. I would also like you to be um, talk a little bit about your breakthrough disease and see if there was any. Um, differences in the severity of disease in those who had received vaccine versus those who um, were in the placebo group. Any difference in severity between those that got nothing and those that got the injection, right? So we're, we're, we're on the doorstep of antibody-dependent enhancement, right? Are they getting the injection and having a worse problem? Here, listen to his answer. And then we'll get to the main part, which he plays after that. I'm asking about the disease profiles in those two groups. Um. The, and the guy speaking here for those in the podcast is the Pfizer representative. And I'll, I'll show you more of that as we go. It's a little bit out of focus. I'll prove it to you in, in, the, main, in the main link. Nature of, of severity of the illness we've actually included in your briefing document. And there was really um, no difference if we looked at all the cases. So I'm talking about based on the number of symptoms that they had uh, in terms of breakthrough uh, compared to placebo, whether it was you know one, two, three, or, or more symptoms, there really was not a dime's worth of difference uh, between the uh, the respective groups, between those that break through that had received vaccine versus placebo. So that gave us confidence in that larger, you know, sort of uh, population of cases that we have that, uh, uh, that 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 does not appear to be an issue. I can't believe he just said that. Do you realize what that challenges? I mean, that that point is almost more important than the other one. So there's literally no difference between people who get COVID with no injection and people who get COVID with no inje- with with an injection. Isn't that their entire argument that it lessens the symptoms? It doesn't stop transmission. That's out the window. He just literally said it doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. That's his word. That essentially that there's no difference. If you get a breakthrough case, it's the same issue unless you if you had it or not. So what's the point of taking this thing to make sure you increase your potential illness to make sure you keep spreading it and catching it? I mean, for, for crying out loud, because this is a genuine question. I don't even know how that makes sense unless they're going to claim he misspoke. Listen again. And this, this is the Pfizer representative. They had, uh, so if we look actually included in the severity of the illness, we've actually included in your briefing document. And there was really um, no difference if we looked at all the cases. So I'm talking about based on the number of symptoms that they had uh, in terms of breakthrough 
uh, compared to placebo, whether it was you know one, two, three, or, or more symptoms, there really was not a dime's worth of difference uh, between the uh, the respective groups, between those that break through that receive vaccine versus placebo. So that gave us confidence in that larger, you know, sort of uh, population of cases that we have that, uh, uh, that 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 does not appear to be an issue. I mean, am I missing something? I mean, I thought about this for a minute when I was watching this, <clears throat> and I'll show you the main clip. Placebo getting inject getting sick versus the injection people the injections getting sick not a dime's worth of difference. Pretty sure that destroys their entire argument. It, it, it also doesn't seem to um, if the disease is the same in the placebo group, um, it didn't show a necessary advantage of the vaccine. Yeah, exactly. These are doctors, by the way. She's a doctor, and they're all doctors, the ones that are going to be speaking on the other side. He introduces them both before. They're doctors. So she's at, she's pointing out the obvious. Well, doesn't that mean that it doesn't have any benefit? Advantage of the vaccine? Necessary advantage of... Didn't show a necessary advantage of the vaccine, I guess was what well, I was I guess asking. the advantage of the vaccine is you're preventing the infection in the first place, right? No, you're not. That's called trans. That's called stopping transmission. That's literally not happening. They that is out the window. This is Pfizer standing there trying to pretend that well it stops the infection. No, it doesn't. Explain for me how you just said people in the placebo got sick, and it's the same situation that people that got the injection then got sick. How is it stopping the infection if they just got sick? Now, are, are we trying to play some kind of game between what infection means versus transmission? If you're stopping infection, that means you're not getting sick. It's not lessening symptoms. If you have symptoms, you're infected. This is ridiculous, guys. This is unbelievable to me. I get so, that. You know, that's I the big advantage, that. right? And, but the, the good yeah. news is it doesn't seem to make the disease worse if, in fact, you've received the vaccine. And I think that's an important thing and why we looked at it. Are you kidding me? So the good thing is it doesn't make it any worse. <laughs> I feel like there should be a rim shot right there. didn't Seriously? Like, okay, so you're going to tell me because it, it, it doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. He lies and says it stops infection. And then says, but the good thing is it doesn't make it worse. So why not take it then? <laughs> yeah, except you just lied again because of all the overwhelming reports that people aren't talking about, that they are dealing with problems. Just because we are in, look, you could even argue that he's, that's true. I disagree. The facts make it clear. But realize what he, what, even if he's being honest about that, the sell is that it doesn't make it any worse. We are at a time, I mean, th compare that to any other discussion of any other vaccine in history. Well, it doesn't kill you. doesn't make it any worse. <laughs> Neither of which is true, but my God. Thank you. And But the, the good news is it doesn't seem to make the disease worse. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit confused about uh, this uh, dosing in terms of micrograms. This is Dr. Portnoy. He, that was Tim Truth just playing that part again because it was obviously important. So here's Dr. Portnoy basically saying, you know, have you done any, any studies to compare the, mil, the micrograms of the mRNA and whether or not there's a, an issue based on more or less? And, and I love this point for two reasons, because one, it gets into the fact that he basically admits we don't know how it causes it. Well, it, it causes a response, but we don't really know how that works, which is unbelievable to me. And on top of that, that they're basically admitting that there's a wild and incredible chasm, a gap, a canyon between the Pfizer and Moderna injections. And yet they're letting people take them intermittently. There's no scientific basis for this. It's absolutely crazy. Your dosing is three micrograms. The Moderna dosing is 25 micrograms. Three versus 25. Think about that. 
Uh, clearly, we're thinking in terms of micrograms the way we would think of proteins as a way of inducing an immune response, and yet the purpose of mRNA is to induce protein production. So is your, pro- is your mRNA just more efficient at making cells produce protein, or how should we think of micrograms in terms of the amount of spike protein that's produced by the cells? Can you kind of clarify that? Yeah, I'll leave to Moderna to describe the nature of how they uh, uh, address their vaccine dosage. But I think, obviously, we don't have a complete understanding of the nature of the way that the vaccine works in terms of producing immune response. So you have to go by the results. And the results are that in the setting of giving a three-microgram dose, we had low reactogenicity compared to placebo, and after a third dose, just as in adults at higher doses, we're getting an immune response that's comparable. It may well be that children, we've seen certainly in, you know, that we're able to go down to a lower dose in children, and the expectation is perhaps they have a more robust response. The expectation, right? These are guesses. You're being, the one main thing, other than the big points you've laid out here, is that they're telling you you're being experimented on. The fact that they don't know how these work, and so what immune response, to what, and how? If you don't know how it works or why it's happening, you don't just go, look, we got something, give it to people. And just to be clear, I'm not a scientist. I understand that. But I'm very clearly hearing, I mean, I've gone over the research. I've gone under the background discussions, the documentation, the scientific studies, and I've listened and talked to highly credentialed experts, scientists, doctors, PhDs. You've seen them on the channel, right? And these people are saying the same thing. They're pointing at this and going, look, they don't, this is dangerous. What it's doing is not, I, in fact, I just went over this in the last show, I think, if I'm not conflating previous shows, where other experts have made the same argument. Or even the fact that Fauci or other doctors have said themselves, one antibody response is not the same as another, right? So how do we know we're creating this for something that's actually happening? Isn't that an important thing to ask? We know those signals from SARS-CoV-1. We've seen this in, in cat coronavirus vaccines where cats ended up with this horrible inflammation swelling of the stomach and about 30% of the cats died. So we know once you prime somebody with an antibody and that antibody is good, great. But if you prime them with an antibody that is not good, sit back and pull out the popcorn because we're going to be seeing something horrific happening immunologically to a population down the road. And a lot of them are being, I mean, they're all being shown to be correct, right? He said that a while ago, and now we're watching the horrific thing he said would happen. How sad is that? That seems to be the case, you know, that we are able to go down to a lower dose in children, and the expectation is perhaps they have a more robust response. Um, that seems to be the case based on uh, giving a 10-microgram dose to 5 to 11s and 3 micrograms to younger. Right. Seems to be the case, right? We're testing them right now in the real world. It seems to be working. That sounds good. But have you ever measured the amount of protein that's produced as a result of the mRNA and how many cells are producing it and how per- persistent that production is for a given microgram of mRNA. That, that's a pretty broad question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 it is. It's wildly important. How about you stop talking because you're not supposed to be. He's asking the science. He's asking Pfizer a question that's obviously one of the most relevant things posed. Have you ever studied a comparison or even just singularity in, specifically? How many, to an individual microgram of mRNA, what is the expected response of spike protein? Tell me that's not the most relevant question you've ever heard. If they don't know that answer, and they're, and they're even specifically intermixing different injections that have different levels of micrograms of the same mRNA that produces the same spike protein that's wildly dangerous for you, if they don't know that, 
Well, doesn't that just add to the exact conversation that we don't even know why this is happening? We don't. All we know is it's giving you a response. Check. And, and even the mediator's like, well, that's pretty broad. No, that's pretty damn specific, if you ask me. But listen again. Microgram of mRNA and how many that's produced as. But have you ever measured the amount of protein that's produced as a result of the mRNA and how many cells are producing it and how per persistent that production is for a given microgram of mRNA? Like, does it keep going afterward? Isn't that relevant? That, that's a pretty broad question. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that that's obviously you know an interesting question to better understand the mechanism, and I would say it's somewhat academic in the setting of what we're trying to achieve here in terms of getting an immune response and a safety profile that's satisfactory, but worthwhile for people to pursue. Oh, good. So look into the studies for yourself, he basically says. Right? It's academic. So read the studies. Oh, you mean the studies that I put up on the show constantly and they call fake news a conspiracy theory because they don't want to relate? Exactly. And what studies are we talking about? Because his point is that doesn't happen. Portnoy is pointing out something relevant here, that that isn't anywhere. There are no academic studies that discuss that in regard to the COVID-19 injection. So he just sidesteps the whole point. So the answer is we don't know. Or rather, he just points at somebody else that might know over there. You are the guy that's supposed to be answering these questions. This is the meeting to determine that this is safe. And you literally just kind of sidestep the entire point that we don't know how many spike proteins are produced per microgram and whether it continues. Well, guess what, though? We do know that based on other peer-reviewed science that wasn't specific to microgram, but found that after the injection, it continues. That it circulates your bloodstream within an hour and goes on for a long time after that. All the things they said were fake news right when this came out. That question is one of the most relevant because the spike protein, as I'll show you next, is one, is the, one of the most prominent issues that's in this because it's cytotoxic and it's causing the problems we're dealing with. And yet it's being rapidly produced for God knows how long circulating your body. But yeah, that's not causing blood clots or anything, even though it's literally what it's doing. That we can prove the spike protein can do that is my point. Unbelievable. Thank you. Let me just uh, Dr. Jansen, the head of vaccine research and development, would like to make a comment about that last uh, question. Oh, Dr. Jansen, you know, no overlap there. You know, Johnson Johnson. Very brief. Thank you, Bill. Um, I think one one important uh, consideration uh, for the, the answer to the question that was just posed is that the two mRNA vaccines are not created equal. They're actually very different vaccines. They use the same platform. They have different formulations. And so I think that's important to, uh, to recognize. And the second piece is that we, of course, have optimized the vaccine for optimal um, expression of the antigens in cells. And if you ask the question, is there a large ex number of uh, protein molecules expressed in the cells, the answer is yes. Thank you. Oh, really? So there's two important things she just said there. And maybe she's just trying to be honest, which kind of feels that way. Like just, you know, she thinks that this is a genuine say, who knows? But what she just said, both of the things she just said there challenge a lot of different things. You're not supposed to think the mRNA is literally a different thing. Or excuse me, the Moderna. You're not supposed to think that. Because how can you mix and match them and use one interchangeably if they're, if they're wildly different formulas with different micrograms, with different holding temperatures? That's all true, by the way. But yet, Karen over there has taken both, and she just took two more boosters of Moderna. She took Pfizer to start. She's got mix and match. She feels proud of that. Think about how what kind of a Wild West situation we're in. I mean, it's not even Wild West. We're off the rail. This is absolutely unscientific. And she just made that clear. On top of that, she makes also clear that it continues to produce lots of spike protein. They also, when I say they, in this context, we're talking about usually the corporate media. Just shouting down whatever the White House tells them to shout down. That has nothing to do with science. That's incredible. Good job, Tim, for catching this. I think that was Thank it. you both. 
off the antigens, optimize oh, yeah. the vaccine for all. Yeah, he, he replaced the part at the end. So great catch, Tim. Huge shout out for that. Now here, in case you wanted to see it, are the actual, and I think it's still live. Let me see if it's still live. Nope, still, it's not still live. I'll try to find the, the uh, actual timestamps when I get done. These were set when it was live, so it's still, yeah, it looks like it doesn't give me the timestamp. But in any case, this is, the, this is the person we just saw, and I'll play a little bit of it just so we can confirm it's the same, same video. Thank you, Mike. And we are now switching to the BNT162B2 Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. And the request is for emergency use authorization for use in infants and children six months through four years of age. And we're going to hear from Dr. Gruber, uh, of the senior vice president at Pfizer. Take it away, Bill. Senior vice president of Pfizer. That's who you just heard talking. Not that one, but, you know, before the clip we played. Telling you that we don't know how this thing works. Incredible. You know, giving this this emergency authorized injection to six-month-olds, right? Why are we still talking about emergency authorization when you claim to have a, an approved version? Why are we pleading with people to let this be emergency authorized when there's an approved version they keep telling us? How about the fact that if you just approved a COVID treatment, then that shouldn't be allowed? None of this matters. But same point, just so you can see that that is in fact what happened. And here was the same situation with them. So I, let me see if there's something I was going to play here. There really was not a dime's worth of difference uh, between the, uh, the respective groups between those that break through that receive vaccine versus placebo. So that gave us confidence in that larger you know, sort of uh, population of cases that we have that uh, a third dose, just as in adults at higher doses, we're getting an immune response that's comparable. It may well be the children we've seen certainly in, you know, that we are able to go down to a lower dose in children. And the expectation is perhaps they have a more robust response. Um, that seems to be the case based on uh, giving a 10 microgram dose to five to 11s and three micrograms to younger. Saying in terms of micrograms, because your dosing is three micrograms that be the vaccine. And I think that's an important thing and why we looked at it. Thank you. I was trying to get it to queue up right where he says the point about we don't know how it works, but you can confirm it for yourself. It's I'll have it time stamped in the show notes when I'm done. But just so we're clear, this is definitely what happened. He definitely said that we don't know how this thing works in regard to immune response. I don't know why anybody's okay with that. Unless we're, you know, pretending it's just to be emergency authorized because we don't know it's so dangerous. We're willing to take the risks, which all of that means you can't force it on people, but they're doing that too. This is broken. This is very broken. The whole damn thing. Here's the actual page, by the way, for the event. So you can check that for yourself as well. Now, here's the Salk Institute post I just want to include in regard to the spike protein itself, which makes sure you see that it's not, it's, it's dangerous in and of itself. On top of that, just being dangerous, it's not only dangerous in the injection or in COVID. They proved the spike protein by itself, however that finds its way into your body, can cause disease. Not just make you sick, but literally cause disease, which produces symptoms, which can then be spread. Which, by the way, those symptoms look just like COVID-19, right? So is that called COVID-19? Is it something else? Is that what we're dealing with after that? What is this? It doesn't. The point is nobody cares to talk about this stuff. When you inject somebody with the spike protein and that sheds, which Dr. Warren has admitted can happen, 
and that then caught by somebody, what are we dealing with right there? Information they just don't want you talking about. Now, on top of that, here is Judicial Watch pointing out on May 2nd, by the way, the Pfizer Biotech study found lipid nanoparticles, the, you know, the fatty lipids that were are encapsulating the mRNA instructions and how that's how the argument being that that is how they were able to make this work, even though it's been failing for 20 years before this. And I've asked this question a hundred times to sum this up quickly. Historically speaking, they failed over and over making coronavirus vaccines. And their argument was they could only do one of two things, right? You can, you, if you, you. The, the, the mRNA needs to make it to where it needs to go. And you need a higher level of lipid nanoparticles encapsulating it to do so. But the increasing of the lipids, the lipid nanoparticles, to the point to where it worked, increased the, the adverse events to the point to where it was too dangerous. Over and over that kept happening, or specifically the end result of the discussion. My point is that that is where they ended up. Then COVID-19 hit and suddenly they came out with this and their whole discussion was, well, we increased lipid nanoparticles to make sure the mRNA worked and success. Well, isn't that exactly what happened before? And that led to weird, exactly what's happening in the world right now. Is that exactly what is happening? Certainly possible. No one's explaining why that didn't cause the same problem they found before. Quite frankly, it quite clearly is what is happening. We can see that happening. So maybe it didn't have any, maybe they knew it didn't care. Maybe who knows? But the point is, those things are one of the largest problems. But all said and done, the nanoparticles alone are problematic. The mRNA itself is problematic. You can look up the science around these things. They have issues for your body. The spike protein, obviously. But altogether, all it's obviously a perfect storm of problems. But this study's pointing out what they keep telling you wasn't true. Whether we're talking spike protein or lipid nanoparticles, that they stay in the arm, they don't circulate your body. Well, guess what? They found lipid nanoparticle materials outside the injection site and test animals, and it's something you should already know. We've covered this before. But just to reiterate that point, the connection to the other one. Judicial Watch announced today, May back in May, it received 466 pages of records from the Department of Health and Human Services regarding biodistribution studies and related data for the COVID-19 injections that show a key component of the vaccine developed by Pfizer Biotech lipid nanoparticles, were found outside the injection site. Mainly, you're not going to be surprised, the liver, the adrenal glands, the spleen, the ovaries of the test animals, which weird is exactly what they found in the Pfizer study that we showed. Remember that? We literally went down the lipid nanoparticle concentration and it was right in the same areas, including the ovaries and the testes, reproductive issues, which is also what they found in the studies and pretended it wasn't relevant. It says, oh, I'm going to, I think I'm just, you guys can read this for yourself. There's a lot of great points in this. I only highlighted a couple of them, but the point they get into is there's in, this is a Pfizer report that says this, no safety pharmacology studies were conducted with the Pfizer injection as they are not considered necessary for the development of vaccines according to the WHO guidelines. Just so you heard that, no safety pharma, pharmacology, pharmacology studies were conducted, none, because WHO said it wasn't important. It also says non-clinical studies evaluating pharmacodynamic drug interactions, you know, how it reacts with other things like other vaccines, like the flu vaccine, weren't conducted because they're generally not considered necessary. I've made that point many times. It says that right in the documentation here, by the way, which tells you that specifically in regard to interactions with the vaccines. Well, it says right there that we don't know. We don't know because we didn't do the studies have not been performed. Yeah, I've been showing you that a million forever. 
Pfizer report notes that when lipid nanoparticles with a comparable composition to that used in the Pfizer COVID vaccine were injected into rats, total recovery of lipid nanoparticles outside the injection site was greatest in the liver and much of the spleen adrenal glands. So this is my point is they knew this stuff. This was their studies before this was released and they lied about it. The media covered it up and said, that's fake news, not true, even though it literally said it in their documentation. You think maybe this is why they wanted to slow roll the release of these documents? Give us 75 years. Everybody who got the problem will be dead. No big deal. Greatest in the liver. And so it notes no geno, uh, genotoxicity studies are planned for the Pfizer injection as the components of the vaccine constructs are lipids and RNA and are not expected to have genotoxic potential. So, oh, so they get to guess then, right? So because they don't believe it's going to have a problem, they just skip the studies because that's safe, right? All of this is only happening and acting like it's legitimate under the guise of emergency authorization, because the argument always goes that because the risk is so great, we're willing to cut corners for your safety. That's exactly what's happening, even though that in and of itself is ridiculous. Like that's literally being unsafe for your safety. That it never made sense to me. Finally, it says in a table and report shows the vaccine virus continued to appear in rabbits in the lymph nodes 100 days after the injection. You know, lymph nodes, the lympho lymphodenopathy is the primary indicator of monkeypox. Don't forget that, right? Isn't that interesting? But it says, quote, these documents show why many Americans have concerns about whether the, co- the, the COVID injections were developed at such an accelerated pace that were tested, whether or not they were tested properly and thoroughly, according to Tom Fitton. Now you can read, there's plenty of more direct quotes from the study. The point is simply that this, this was a huge claim that was called fake news. People were censored because they made this argument. Then, as Bob points out, I've made the point many times, Canada just declared today that, quote, fully vaccinated now, of course, means three injections, stating two doesn't work anymore. Right. So two doesn't work now. You mean it never did? No, it just doesn't work now because we're going to three. (laughs) Great. How does that even make sense? So if I just got my second one today, how does it does not work? According to Canada, it doesn't work. We need three now. Only three works. You are literally not allowed on the bus, the plane, or if they were doing that, because it seems like they're rolling those back now in Canada. I, it's, it's so convoluted and confusing. I don't think that's the point. But if they are going to do any kind of restrictions or control, you have to have three of them now on your passport and digital ID in order to get on the bus, go in the plane, enter the store, and so on. Think about that. Three, and this is as, he, as Bob's pointing out rightly, we have been calling this the entire time, as many of us have. Up to date in Canada. Well, now fully vaccinated is three in Canada. Four is probably up to date, right? However they want to play this game. That's what he has to say. We also know from Dr. Tan and every other expert on COVID-19 is that although two doses still still protects significantly well against severe disease and death, two doses are not enough now to protect against infection and transmission. And that, see, that's an utter, that's just blatant lies. I mean, everybody, I mean, even Walensky, they've had to eat crow and been forced to admit that back in Delta town, right? Now we're Omicron town, right? So now it's very different. The point is, you know, again, that's what they're saying, by the way. The point is just simply that it's always, ne- it's never, ever from the beginning of this whole process, stop transmission. That's been grudgingly admitted by plenty of people. And by the way, when you dig into the documentation, they knew that, probably intentionally. The point is that this is ridiculous. This is just a narrative spun to get certain people to go along for the next one. But now you need three. Yet again, conspiracy theories, theorists saw it coming. Well, here's what NHS says, though, simultaneously. 
right? He's over here going, no, two's not going to work because you need three, which I guess in the process to get to three, you got to get two, right? That's their whole idea. NHS steps in and says, if you experience side effects after your first dose, you still need to have the second dose as having both offers the most protection, (laughs) not according to Canada. The symptoms of COVID and long COVID are much worse than the side effects of the vaccine and can last a lot longer. That's just blatantly not true. Right. The symptoms of COVID, whatever that you want to call that, it's whatever they want it to be. And long COVID, which is completely psychosomatic based on the peer reviewed research, in my opinion. Again, that's what the peer reviewed research found. But I know there are other studies that say things that are different and so on. But I've conceived there's there's mainstream discussions about whether the vaccine itself is what calling COVID is. But there's also the idea that the peer reviewed science found in this massive study that most people that think they have long COVID are shown to never even had COVID whatever that ultimately means, but that's what the peer-reviewed science found. But what they're saying is that, you know, if you if you had severe problems or whatever your side effects were, first dose, go make sure you get the second one. You got to get the second one. So why? So then you then need the third and the fourth one? Because you're a number four in the UK. So why would I go to the second one if on the record right now, the data shows that they're wildly not safe, that they're in, getting sick more, that they're dying more, they're going to the hospital more, everything we keep seeing. Like, you know, on that note, let's just, you know, let's take a quick glance over at Ontario, seeing as how it's an easy one to point out real quick. I'm going to follow up on New South Wales. Oh, wow. Is that gone? Oh, wow. Look at that. They deleted their tweet. <laughs> I wondered why. What, did they get embarrassed? How funny. As with all medicines, there can be some side effects. So I guess apparently they're just not even supposed to admit there are side effects. I right? can't say that out loud, can you? That's gone. This tweet's gone. How funny is that? Let me do this real quick, just in case I lose that. Watch, I'm going to refresh. Yep, sure as hell deleted. How funny is that? I love it. So here is Ontario. Oh, look at that. 75% of people in the ICU are injected. (laughs) Weird. It's not like it hasn't been that that way every single day for five months straight. You know, no big deal. Or even the hospital in general, over 75%. By the way, it's, and it doesn't matter what's happened to the percentages. That's just a stagnant constant. That's not what you would expect with what they keep telling you. If you're in the ICU, that's severe. You're in the emergency room. 75% of people in Ontario that are in the emergency room for COVID are fully vaccinated. And of course, even the unvaccinated, they manipulate and add injections. It says not fully. Wait a minute. Didn't it just say unvaccinated? Now it says not fully. Is that the same as partially? Yes, it is. Thank you for D-Train for pointing that out to me. How stupid is that? So even that means most of these are in, in question. That means that they've got injections in their body. They're not unvaccinated. It's a, it's a damn scam, guys. I mean, it's incredibly obvious how this is working. But go ahead and get your next ones because they're worse and they're lying to you and it can last a lot. It's they're hurting people. On top of that, we're ignoring natural immunity. Oops. We're ignoring natural immunity. Study after study have shown that natural immunity after COVID infection. Oh, son of a gun is in superior to vaccine immunity, just as one would expect. Forcing the vaccine on everyone is a, is a stain on hospitals, universities, and public health officials. How can we trust them on other matters? And opposed to a study here making it very, very clear. This is a New England Journal of Medicine. Now, there, the point is simply that we know that's the case. It always has been the case. But on top of that, don't forget that multiple, even corporate media outlets are admitting now that the CDC has even admitted that the vast majority of the population already has immunity. Most of them, many of which had natural immunity before this ever started, according to two different peer-reviewed studies. I've made that clear countless times. Since I didn't bring it up last time, I'll include it this time. 
as it, this, this is one of the most important, where it simply said a, major, a majority of uninfected adults already had pre-existing antibody reactivity to SARS-CoV-2. Uninfected, meaning they had reactivity to this before they, before, not infected before this ever started. They also found this in a control group of a different peer-reviewed study, meaning people had this from whether it's the cold, which don't forget the discussion at the beginning, the human coronavirus, they had the cold or SARS or whatever else, or maybe it was circulating before. Bottom line is, why would we push this when most people already had natural immunity? That's what he's pointing out. Now, down here, what's funny is this person responds by going, uh, may give protection, but it also gives long COVID. You know, that's, see, that's their, that's their last straw. They're grasping on the edge of the cliff on the long COVID. That's everything. You mean the, un, the undefined hypothetical discussion? That's, that's all you got left? Although you probably don't think that exists or is too inconvenient for you to think that way. Like, here's the worst part about this kind of logic. They don't know for sure how COVID works. They are admitting that. So it's a broad assumption in general that it's even associated to COVID. But they just like, but, and then I can show peer-reviewed science that suggests that it's psychosomatic. But this guy doesn't like that. That's why I said, said are those two convenient? Are these two con- inconvenient for you? <laughs> Pointing peer-reviewed science that they then, you know, don't dis- respond to. Typical. Finally, in regard to the risks, fact check. Pfizer FDA document does not show COVID not cause does COVID shot cause miscarriages or neonatal deaths in quote all injected mothers. Here's the frustrating part about this. So everything we just discussed, you're going to get these garbage child level fact checks. Well, they're actually opinion checks. Here's what's funny about this. This is one of the most blatant. As I always show you, they pick out some social media post and and act like this cartoonish partisan argument is what everybody thinks. Most importantly, people like us that are being objective and reporting this as peer-reviewed science. Who out there is saying that all injected mothers had this problem? Wouldn't surprise me at all based on the research we're seeing. But to simply say literally every single mother had a miscarriage, nobody's actually saying that. Except for some Facebook posts they're going to link to. But see, they point at this. And when we have a discussion about miscarriages, they point, they post the fact check underneath the video without even looking at the content. As if it somehow relates to what we're saying, because of course, the only thing we get it from is Facebook posts, right? They're conspiracy theorists. It's the childish reduction of what's really going on, and it makes them feel better about their lives. All babies of pregnant women, they say. Right. The reality is that their own documentation showed you that there's a potential safety signal. And the reason that they miss all, I'll just read you from their own post. But nobody in our field is saying, Every single person everywhere, because that's not even the data backs that up. Goes forward to say, now again, make hear me. I very clearly believe that anybody that took this stuff is potentially in line for some problems based on the based on the science. But that's not what we currently see, right? Just being factual. Goes on to say in this fact check, it is key to note that the document does not provide the total number of pregnant women. This is the Pfizer document, the FDA Pfizer document we talked about or people in general who received a shot during that period, making it impossible to calculate the percentage of pregnant women who reported an adverse event, or in this case, had a spontaneous abortion following vaccination compared to a larger total. That's exactly our point. Because you made sure to push aside 238 of the 270 people and not allow them to be followed up, then we can't really know for sure. So the point is that that could be the case, couldn't it? Your answer is we don't know, which means, yes, that means it could be the problem. And based on what we do see, which is the other people left who then we saw about in almost 90% of them have that problem. We should ask, could that be what happened? Could that be that all 270 or 80% of them did have that problem? They can't answer that because they quietly pushed aside 238 of them. So how can you fact check that that's the case if you don't even know for sure? 
because all they want to do is put to bed the argument by posting this in the headline. But goes forward to say, Table 6 states that 270 mother cases and four fetus baby cases representing 270 unique pregnancies for a fetus, it goes on to say, were reported. According to the document, though, outcomes were simply not provided for 238 pregnancies. We've heard this discussed a lot. I just played a clip from an expert talking about this. So you don't know what happened to those 238 pregnancies, right? That's their answer. Now, why wouldn't they? Because plenty of other people, by the way, have followed up with many of them and found out they did lose the pregnancies. But of course, because they didn't choose to follow up, therefore we don't know, therefore you're fake. Of the remaining cases, 32. That's all they had left, 32 cases. Of those 32, 23 of them reported a spontaneous abortion, two had neonatal deaths, three spontaneous abortions with uh, intrauterine death, and one spontaneous abortion with neonatal deaths. That's 28 total. So 28 of the 32 that we could see had a problem. The outcome of five cases was reported as pending, and another one had a normal outcome. So five of them were pending. So 238 of them, we don't even get to find out. Isn't that an alarming signal? Anybody honest would say that. Well, that's crazy. Shouldn't we immediately rush out to find out what happened to 238 pregnancies to find out if that is the signal we saw? Nah, who cares? Because we just want to make it look the way we want to make it look. Flawed calculations. And here's where we get back to their point that all we're saying is literally everybody died. Nobody intelligent is saying that. Based on this document, articles and social media users, right? That's where, that's, that's where we're getting it from, right? It's not like we're looking at the Pfizer scientific documentation and quoting them exactly. No, we're going to Facebook and going, look at what that post said. That's fake news. We're researching based on Twitter and Facebook. Like that's, the, that's what they want people to think we're doing. And that's what they buy. So that's why they look at it, dismiss it and point to the fact check. Because they're in the impression that we're a bunch of conspiracy theorists in our basements looking at Facebook. That's what they want to play. And that's what's so embarrassing. Based on the documents and articles and social media users are claiming that 100% or alternatively 87.5 of the babies of pregnant women receiving the shot during the reported period died. Well, 87.5 of what we can see is correct. It says Emily... Ad Harkari, assistant professor at the Division of Maternal Fetal Medicine at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, mouthful, told Reuters via email that she considered the articles, which ones exactly? Not mine. <laughs> not, not Pete, like Dr. McCullough. No, no, no. Some article somebody posted on somewhere, you know, you five shares, it's on Facebook. That's the kind of thing that they do. So this article that this expert's debunking erroneously assumes that 238 pregnancies that did not provide an outcome at the time reporting had a negative outcome. No, we're not. We are simply pointing out that 238 are unknown, just like you are. And that's concerning. That's why they seek out and find some hyperbolic partisan person that's going to scream, they are all dead because this person told me my sources say. And they use that to dismiss everything that anybody logical is saying. Instead, these pregnancies were ongoing at the time of reporting, disproving the argument of the articles. You see, that's where their fact check lies. Claiming that we say 100%, but nobody's doing that. How do you know what happened to them? How do you disprove that people didn't die if you don't know what happened to them? Think about how dumb that is. Reuters also presented the document to Vicki Mayo, a lecturer in reproductive immunology at Imperial College London, you know, a central role player in the manipulations from COVID's beginnings, and said adverse events reports, such as the ones highlighted in the document, quote, do not necessarily imply that either doctor or the patient believes the event caused by vaccination, only that it occurred after vaccination. Yeah, we all know that. Who's saying otherwise? Anybody honest can say that it's correlation, but that's the point. It's like arguing that, well, theirs is unverified, so let's ignore it. 
It's not about proving it, as even the UK admitted themselves in 2006. Simply having a high volume of signals, whether or not they're verified, is enough to pull products. They said that before COVID-19 land. Now it's fake news somehow. At least 34,494 pregnant women in the United States have been vaccinated by February 16th. 2021, per the CDC data archive, the cited Pfizer Biotech report accounts for reports through February 28th. Great. So pointing at how many got it without giving any context means it's safe. How about because every single time somebody points at a problem like this, you guys dismiss it out of out of hand. And say, oh, well, that's fake news because we can't prove it. So perfect then, because they've all gotten it and we dismiss every claim that comes around. There you go. It's perfectly safe. The U.S. CDC recommends COVID-19 vaccination and a booster shot for pregnant women and breastfeeding, or women trying to get pregnant, right? Because that's what the science says, right? Isn't that what the science says? In fact, it's not what the science says. Here's the Pfizer document from February 2022. Use in pregnant women while breastfeeding, the safety of the vaccine profile is not fully known in pregnant or breastfeeding women. Wait a minute. I'm confused. Did they just say that they recommend it for people because it's safe? I mean, the only reason you'd recommend it is because it's safe and effective, right? Especially when you're pregnant. So explain for me how we don't know if it's safe, according to Pfizer's documentation, as of their last update. You guys know this point. I've made it a hundred times. I'm doing it like that for the people that are new to the show. The point is that they can't say it's safe and effective or recommend it for pregnant women if they literally have the documentation that says, we don't know if it's safe and effective for pregnant women. That's called a crime. That's called dangerous. That's called scientism. Verdict is, oh, weird. It's not, it's not false. Wait a minute, didn't you just screen this entire article that's all completely misleading? So there is a risk then. Understand that if they don't call that false and they say misleading, that implies that it's not entirely true. That means there is a risk for these people that is being documented. It's just not entirely what they say it is. It's not 100%. It's only 99% are being facetious. The document, which is looking into adverse events between December 2020 and February 28th, 2021, is part of the Pfizer Biotech Biologics License Application to the FDA. It does not provide evidence that all pregnant women who received the shot in the report period lost their babies. Isn't that great? So, so did they keep them? Well, we don't know. Did you find, did you see, did you follow up and find out? No, of course not. But we know they, we, we don't know for sure that they lost them. So you're liars. My God. How did we end up in a position like this where these people are so clownish to the point to where it's embarrassingly obvious that they're lying? And of course, see, I'm, I'm just... So you know what happens when I when I know that I'm not going to be doing a super long show is I take my time. <laughs> a, I could have made this show an hour, but I've already passed an hour. But let's, there's only two last parts we're going to get into. This is an important important follow-up to everything else we just said. Dragoth points this out, but this comes directly from, here's the, a new channel that I saw today, Alliance for Natural Health International. World exclusive, unvaxxed control group, first preview of the survey findings. Basically, uh, well, this is just, I want to give them a shout out for who, Posted this was where I saw it. This is a report. Here's a report itself on ResearchGate. It's it it is just a preprint and it's self-reported. So I mean, it's not it's not something that should be used as an absolute you know smoking gun, whatever you want to call it. But nonetheless, it's relevant. Self-reported outcomes, choices, and discrimination among a global COVID nineteen unvaccinated cohort. There's a lot of good information here you should read through for yourself. But I'll just play the beginning of this for you, or two minutes. I'll play the whole thing. People who have yet to receive a COVID-19 vaccine have generally been marginalized, ostracized, discriminated by those who are following the mainstream narrative. And today we're releasing the first results from a survey conducted by the Vax Control Group. 
social identity theory tells us that if you're going to marginalize a group that come together, we respond to our belonging need. And over 300,000 people have come together in a citizen-based initiative to understand health outcomes for those who elect not to be vaccinated. And together with my colleagues, um, Dr. Nasiba Katrada from South Africa, Dr. Christoph Plotter from Germany, um, and Dr. Kat Lindley from the USA, we have analyzed the first survey results from the Vax Control Group. They are there are so many doctors and scientists and experts around the world, like so many that are doing independent research like this and showing you what's going on. It's amazing. Amazing. It's amazing that we're still at a point where they call literally anybody who challenges the mainstream narrative from the White House and the media an anti-science conspiracy theorist. Isn't that just incredibly laugh out loud ridiculous? Can you can just think of how many doctors and scientists have stood up and been called that? Literally waving peer reviewed science and being called anti-science. It's never been this clear to me in my entire life that this is obviously a ploy, a manipulation. Just because you see a few Fauci-type doctors that keep get trotting out on corporate media, and that's the only one you point at and listen to, doesn't mean that the wild, vast majority of the rest of the world's scientists and doctors and experts are very clearly pointing this stuff out. It's unbelievable to me. Fascinating. They show us that the general view that the public has of the unvaccinated, that they pose a major burden on society, is wrong. In fact, what happens with this group is that they self-care to a much greater extent than most people. They take a lot more vitamins, minerals. They take vitamin D, vitamin C, um, zinc, and quercetin um, to not only prevent disease, but also to treat disease. They have very low hospitalization rates. Yet at the same time, they face um, a lot of pressure in terms of the, the mental health burden that they experience because of the discrimination. They also uh, have, if you look at the, the, the female cohort, they experience bleeding abnormalities, menstrual disturbances um, because of exposure to spike protein, because of the stress, because of the changes linked to the pandemic. I understand, guys. And the stress is one thing. That's a valid point. But what he's talking about is exactly what we keep talking about, the shedding of the spike protein. He's talking about people that are unvaccinated. And we saw this from the very beginning. Pregnant women being around other people, women in general being around their spouses that got injected, pregnant women who get the injection, or rather just women who get the injection, and then they pass it to their baby through, the, through breast milk or just being present. We're seeing this. Women being around other women that suddenly have weird menstrual problems because their friend got injected. It's unreal how much of this has been happening. And there's documentation everywhere. It's just being dismissed. Um, so the results are fascinating. They do change our perspective. Please dig in. We've released the um, initial findings in a detailed report, um, which has been um, published on the preprint server ResearchGate. You'll find the link below. Please share it widely. Thank you. Very interesting. Now, you can make, make sure you read through this. It's a long report, but, you know, I'm not going to go through it in depth because, you know, most of this you could have, we've talked about all of this. But the point is that this is, you know, self-reported. So it's gonna, I guarantee it's going to be dismissed out of hand by anybody that doesn't want to hear, oh, they could, they're all lying, you know, whatever. Whatever they want to make it, it'll become. But it's still very important to see. It adds a couple of interesting overlaps to what we're seeing today. Not just the fact, but like the, 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 social, the sociology part of it, like how the people in society are dealing with other people. The, you know, I mean, it's essentially an overlap with the racism and idea and bigotry and the idea that just because you're a certain thing, that therefore you're lesser than, you're a certain way, you, you want to get other people sick because you don't care. And 
none of that's true. I mean, it's in, in some people, I'm sure everything's possible in some people, you know, like the same argument with HIV. Oh, they're going to try to get me sick because they don't want. Does it exist? Sure. But to just argue that literally everybody anywhere, even how about the people that are immunocompromised that don't want to get it because they don't understand, or someone that aren't, that their doctor says they should never get any injections, which exists. They were also demonized just because they were part of that group. You're unvaccinated. It's bigotry, right? This is socially engineered manipulation. Divide and conquer. Then we have people like this who are just delusional in my opinion. Here's what she said. The anti-vax crowds, again, you know, calling anybody that points out this information as anti-vax, which is not true. People like RK Jr. and plenty of others are open, outspoken about the fact that they're not anti-vaccine, they're anti-this vaccine. Very different. But not to these people, not to this person at MSNBC, you know, the journalist. No nuance there, right? You're, we don't care what your opinion is. We know what you wink, wink think from the inside. Therefore, we're going to go ahead and call you anti-vaxxer. We're going to call you anti-science despite your many scientific degrees, right? That's just how stupid these people are or willfully, I mean, choosing to lie. I don't even know how you'd frame it. But the anti-vax crowd's favorite talking point these days, quote, why are vaxxed and boosted people getting COVID multiple times? Is such a spectacular self-own Right. And that's, of course, why she turned off comments, because everybody agrees they're getting in multiple times. They're getting it multiple times, she says, because they're not dying the first time, my dudes, because those are all they're all men. Apparently, that means it's working. <laughs> it's working. It's almost like this is a parody. Right. Like, it's OK. You see, it's your, your teeth are falling out. That means it's working. Don't worry. I mean, it's just incredible. Not no, This is ignoring for the fact that they aggressively sold us on the fact that transmission was the only thing this was going to stop, or rather the focal point of the entire thing, which then transitioned to reducing your symptoms, which then transitioned to just not dying. But she can't see that, apparently. As I said, this is, <laughs> talk about delusional moving of the goalpost. And by the way, they are dying, by the way. A lot of them, you just dismiss them without looking. And we just discussed this yesterday, if you'd like to see that in the show from yesterday. The independent pharmacovigilance report confirms evidence of recall of the COVID-19 vaccines. It's catastrophic. Just the VAERS and Eurovigilance and Vigi Access are showing you unbelievable breakdown of COVID vaccine compared to everything else. Unreal. And that, that's actually the point. I'm glad I brought this up in regard to the 2006 discussion I just referenced, as it says right here. And here's the actual source material for it on The Guardian. It says very clearly, quote, there is no need to prove that the medicine caused the adverse reaction, just the suspicion is good enough, says Dr. June Rain, head of the UK's Medicine and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency in 2006. Did, did the entirety of science change by then? Did the, did the VAERS systems change? No, they're exactly the same. So what's different then? Oh, your narrative is different. Why, why would it not be, why would we take products off the market based on safety signals we didn't prove for swine flu and plenty of other things, but now that we've got an unbelievable, overwhelming, contrast between what we're being told like right here in front of you for those not in the podcast total adverse events versus every other thing that's ever been reported on the entire system and it's catastrophic so based on their logic this should already be pulled but it's not so the point and and by the way just so i'm clear these are only deaths we're looking at 40 almost 400,000 covid 19 deaths on veggie access it it says in total wait no this is oh excuse me i take that back i'm glad i saw that this is adverse events but my, the reason I said deaths before, I remember from the previous show, is it says down here, more than 40,000 deaths are linked to the novel COVID vaccines in the official databases, which represents only about 1% to 10% of the total that, that Harvard and everybody else has said in the past is the reality. 
depending on what system you're looking at. Bayer's is about 1% of the total. So that's 40,000 deaths that they dismiss because we can't prove them. Well, we did, though. Most of them have been. You just guys pretend it's not there. That's the reality. They go, well, it's unverified. That's the whole point, though, as they just said. Here's somebody else following up. And this is this this is talk about being owned. And look at just look at the breakdown of the of the, the likes and comparisons. I actually didn't look who this person was. So oh, look at that, guys. Okay, here's a really interesting point to make. This is her Twitter feed. Okay. She's got 17,000 followers, works for MSNBC. This random guy steps in with 500 followers and owns her in regard to like being ratioed. Are the, this is his question. Are the anti-vax folks voicing these concerns from the grave? Are they dodging the virus entirely or are they actually correct? One of these three has to be true (laughs) to then blocking responses. But my point about being owned, this guy with 500 followers in contrast to her 17,000 gets 10,000 likes and 633 retweets, whereas she got 641 likes and 4,000 retweets. So I guess that's more in regard to retweets. Nonetheless, the point is that it's sort of a different dynamic, isn't it? But he's right, though. Either they're speaking from the grave, they're missing it entirely, or they're correct. If they keep getting sick, which is what we keep hearing, by the way, Dr. Fauci just got sick again. Dr. Fauci test positive for COVID-19 today. 81, he's fully vaccinated and has two boosters. He is experiencing mild symptoms and has not recently been in contact with Biden or any other government officials, top government officials, which I don't buy. Right. The leading health official has not been around any of the top officials this entire two weeks or whatever time they're claiming. B.S. But the point is simply that this is a ploy to be able to hide from the public or is definitely saying he's sick again. Probably both. But think about that. So her argument is as long as they don't die, it's working. I just can't. I mean, I you know, I can sit here and talk about this for four hours. I just can't get past how stupid this is. Not alone, just because not dying is not an endpoint, like he said. It was, but the point being is that they keep changing their story, and she believes them from every every st- uh, No, no, no. Masks don't work now. Only N95s. Okay, I'll just use that one then. Didn't you just bank everything on that being your safety blanket, or you know the fact that it's stopping transmission? Oh nope, we lied about that. Now it's just reducing symptoms. Nope, nope. Now it's just stopping you from dying entirely. It's pretty crazy. Which transition us to the final point about monkeypox, which is just kind of in the same vein of this whole weird situation. But here's what the Atlantic posted today, yesterday, excuse me, that I find very interesting. Monkeypox vaccines are too gnarly for the masses. It's interesting. Monkeypox is very different from COVID, they say, and will require a very different vaccination approach. Most people probably don't know that as they're pushing it right now. Unlike with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, don't forget, by the way, they are pushing it right now. There's, pl- there's places that are already administering monkeypox vaccines, which is asinine. It's lunacy. Unlike the SARS-CoV-2 virus with monkeypox, we're entering an epidemic with hugely effective vaccines. That's what they, really? So first of all, we're apparently already stepping into a monkeypox epidemic. I don't know when that happened. But on top of that, that they're they're not monkeypox vaccines, which actually are smallpox vaccines, are hugely effective. Neither of those are true. One, the smallpox vaccines are very dangerous, which I'll show you next, and efficacious in the sense they claim they're safe and effective, just like they do during COVID-19, which means they have huge consequences, but because smallpox is so dangerous that it balances out somehow. <laughs> this is the, I don't know how we got in that weird balance of logic, which is nothing of the kind, but it's a monkeypox, or it's a smallpox vaccine. 
It's not even made for monkeypox. How can it be highly effective if neither of those things are true? Formulated to guard against smallpox already in hand. So they're arguing we have a highly effective vaccine for monkeypox using the smallpox vaccine. That's not true. And I'll show you next. But it says nearly all of the 100 million available smallpox vaccines are AMAAC 2000 in inoculation that per FDA documentation gets punctured rapidly into the arm via 15 jabs of a bifurcated escargot, I mean, it says, is that escargot? Escargot? Fork-esque needle in a fashion, like I know what escargot is, but I just didn't, that seems like a strange use. I mean, it does say escargot fork like esque needle, which I guess that does make sense. So it's a, sort of like an escargot fork. It's a weird analogy to use for a vaccine in a fashion vigorous enough to draw blood. Get this. So what the point means, it's a multiple needle injection that stabs into your arm. And it goes on to say in the weeks following this, this weird jab, a gnarly pus laden lump blossoms, then scabs and falls away. Hmm, that sounds fun. It's oozy. It's nasty. It definitely doesn't feel good says Kelsey Cohn, a virologist at ARUP Laboratories in Utah, who received the vaccine 12 years ago. Gross. So you get this multi, multi-pinned, you know, multi-syringed, uh, I guess, injection that creates an, a gnarly, pus-laden lump that falls, it's oozy and nasty and doesn't feel good <laughs> for something that, by the way, is not meant to be used for monkeypox. It's actually incredibly dangerous. I mean, this is outside the realm of logic. This is not scientific. And here's my point. This is from June 8, 2022. It's already being used on people. Monkeypox vaccination begins. Can the global outbreaks be contained? We're already stepping into this as if it needs to be stopped. It hasn't even happened yet. Some countries have begun to use smallpox vaccines to protect people exposed to the monkeypox virus. I just talked about this yesterday as well. They're pretending in some of these mainstream articles that this is a monkeypox vaccine. It's not. They're working on those right now, but they're pushing the smallpox vaccine that's not made for this and is not safe and effective according to the CDC and the FDA around this topic. It says countries including Canada, the UK, and the United States have already begun implementing that weird shot, a strategy called ring vaccination, to try to halt the spread of the virus. This involves administering smallpox vaccines, which are thought to be effective, which are thought to be effective against monkeypox because the viruses are related. So they're guessing and experimenting on you to people who have been exposed to monkeypox through close contact with an infected person, which is wildly hard to do, but not with this weird, unusual thing that seems to be circulating. Weird, right? So why are they arguing it's highly effective if you just read from nature that it's not, that we are guessing that it could be because we think it's the same virus, or the same thing, or maybe it is the same thing. Some people argue they're all the same thing, but none of this is as sound as the, outer, the, the Atlantic tried to make it sound to you. Here's the most important part somebody just sent me. This is from 2002. The most dangerous vaccine. Can you guess which one that is? Smallpox may be the worst disease ever known to man. It killed about half a billion people from 1880 to 1890 before it was eradicated. There's another point you made about that down here in the article in the smallpox facts and the smallpox vaccine is deadly too. You wouldn't be allowed to say that right now, right? You literally would be censored for saying that, even though that's the truth. The smallpox vaccine is deadly as well. Now, remember, as we said, dangerous, deadly, they just mean it can cause death. It's possible. Whether it's one in a million, one in a hundred billion, it's still dangerous because it can cause harm. Simple. Now, that can become abstract to people that want to say, well, dangerous means it. Well, it can cause harm. Therefore, the word is definitions have me. That's why they change definitions. But words have meaning. The current COVID-19 injections are dangerous because obviously they can cause harm. They've admitted it can cause myocarditis. Therefore, it meets the definition of dangerous. If it can kill you, which this can, it's deadly. 
Doesn't mean it causes death every single time, but it can cause death. It's this just bastardization of words today. Scientists call it the most dangerous vaccine known to man. You know, back then they did, wouldn't be able to say it now. Today, smallpox is a potential weapon. And this is 2000, this is post 9-11. Biosecure, well, first the security state, now we're in the biosecurity state. Smallpox is a potential weapon of mass destruction that could be wielded against the U.S. by enemies like Iraq, like Iraq and Al-Qaeda. <laughs> Funny how the narrative shift, isn't it? With that in mind, President Bush is expected to announce on Friday a plan which will gradually make the smallpox vaccine available to all Americans who want it. That's according to the administration sources who say the shots will be mandatory for about 500,000 military personnel. Those military personnel were being tested on. We now know that and recommended for another half million who work in hospital emergency rooms and on special smallpox response teams based on the hypothetical threat that somebody may use this. That's it. There was no cases. It was just they may do it. So let's force it on 500,000 military personnel, even though we know this is very dangerous. In fact, as scientists called it, the most dangerous vaccine in existence. You know what happened? People got hurt. We've talked about this. 60 Minutes correspondent Dan Rather reports that in evaluating the potential danger of smallpox, the Bush administration has faced a deadly dilemma. Do not vaccinate the population against smallpox and leave millions of people vulnerable to one of the most scur- worst scourges known to man, you know, on the slim chance that it may happen, which guess what? It didn't happen. So take the risk of an unknown possible threat. Yes. Every day of the week or treat people with a vaccine that is extremely effective at blocking the disease, but can cause dangerous, sometimes fatal reactions. By the way, it's not when they say extremely effective. That's the same thing we're hearing everywhere else. It's a break. It's whatever they deem effective based on the breakdown of logic in their reports. It's not always effective. And we actually saw that post administration, but it says the United States stopping, stopped giving mandatory smallpox vaccinations 30 years ago. Guess what they say next? Soon after that, doctors eradicated the disease on the planet. Okay, so they stopped forcing it. And when they stopped doing that, weird, it suddenly went away. That's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Now, of course, that's going to upset a lot of people, as the facts tend to do. But the reality is, as people have admitted, both around polio and smallpox, that these things were already on the decline. They were already diminishing. The injection increased the spread, and then it went back down on the continuing natural decline. Plenty of highly credentialed people have made that argument. It says, but now the government has decided to bring back the vaccine because of the fears of terrorists could use it as a weapon. Sound familiar? Goes on to say the vaccine effectively immunizes against smallpox, but that protection has a price. Some people die from it and others have serious reactions, some permanent. Scientists say it's the most dangerous vaccine known to man. Isn't that interesting? Make sure you remember this, and I'm sure it'll come back up as they begin to force this, if that happens, which I hope it doesn't. Most dangerous known to man. So consider that again with what the Atlantic was saying. Guess what? We're running an epidemic with highly effective vaccines already in hand. Weird how they leave out the part that it could kill you. <laughs> I wonder why they did that. Isn't that strange? Finally, the United Nations points out on June 14th, 2022, WHO to determine if monkeypox should be declared an emergency of international concern. Rights experts warn of COVID vaccine apartheid. My God. Because we only care about apartheid when it comes to injections we want everyone to take. Who cares that Israel's an open apartheid state? Nobody cares about that. My God. An emergency of international concern based on no deaths? None, by the way. But yeah, that's the world you're entering into. Now, this was meant to be a transition to a conversation we will have. But just to finish off, this is a real article. 
And consider the world they're building you into right now. The World Economic Forum on August 24th, 2021 wrote, psychologists say a good life doesn't have to be happy or even meaningful. (laughs) Welcome to the Great Reset. Welcome to your new normal. New research suggests there's an alternative way to living a good life. It isn't focused on happiness or purpose, but rather it's about psychologically rich life. Psychologically rich, but not happy, not meaningful, just rich with psychological activity. Is that positive activity? Just rich, full of it. Full of concern, scared, safety safety risks, full of of danger and and fear and paranoia. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's all psychological, right? It's just psychologically rich. Seriously? I mean, it's just an incredible thing to say. And by the way, you'll, you'll own nothing and they've never been happier. Now, we will have this conversation as we go forward. I'm going to end it there for today, guys. But the reality is that this is pretty incredible to watch the breakdown of logic, the breakdown of literally scientific research. Not to say that there's not science, the, the scientific research is wildly important. It just can't, it just can't, not that, not when it's controlled, right? We need to use things like IPAC, for example, like James Lyons Weiler, PhD. Whether you were there peer reviewing science that doesn't involve the, the control structure. Because here's the point, guys you don't need the CDC and the White House to tell you what's peer reviewed. You need other scientists because that's what's happening today. They're doing scientific research that's sound, peer reviewing it with other experts. It gets published, which should be the end of it. Then the editor team pushes back on it because they get pushed on from people above them and they remove it. Once it's published as peer reviewed, that should be the end of it. Because other experts confirmed that the, the process was sound. But people find conflicting things all the time. But not during COVID-19 clown world. That's the problem today. But there are people like James Lyons-Weiler and plenty of others that are building networks out there to where they can conduct research, confirm it amongst themselves, and post it out there. Yes, it'll be dismissed by the centralized control structure of science, scientism. But it's still there. You can still look at it. And it's still peer-reviewed. And it's still sound. And it's still done by experts. That's what we need to do, guys. Build parallel societies and parallel structures, peer-to-peer economies. There's only real, there's, a, there's obvious ways we circumvent this before it ever comes to pass. Voting with your dollar right now is an important one up until they remove it and execute their digital dollar, which is already happening. Nonetheless, guys, the point is a lot's happening. We see it. So what we need to continue to do is help the person next to you see it too. Help your neighbor who doesn't want to look at it. Help your father, your son, your daughter, your cousin, people that don't understand what's really happening in front of them. Just give them the information and hope they can look at it. Hope they can be honest about it. But sort of like that meme says, (laughs) the longest, most excruciating I told you so in history. And we're reaching people, guys. That's the most important thing they don't want you to see, that people are seeing this. The majority, in fact. You are the majority. And that's one of their most, their desperate efforts to cover up the fact that most people are aware that they're being lied to right now. As long as they can keep you from realizing that, they're going to keep pushing forward. So that's the real question to pose today, right? What, how do we do that? This show is important in regard to keeping the flow of information, but it's also, its most important goal in the beginning was to reach the majority of people that were uninformed. But are we already there? Are we really just preaching to the choir and everyone's watching going, yeah, why can't everybody see this? And we all do. And we don't realize that we all see it. So what do we do? How do we take that next step? How do you get the people who are on the majority side of it to realize that they are the majority? Or how do you get them to pose to ask that question? Are we? Are we about to be? Are we making a difference? Like stand back and ask that question. Party lines or not, are we all seeing the same thing? And then the next question would be, what do we do with that? I don't have all the answers. I simply trigger the questions. 
right? We all need to start asking these questions. And hopefully those questions can lead to genuine change. Because it doesn't take one person, right? It takes all of us to do that. Let's get it out there. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. How it gets to the point where... Well, things get to terrible places one tiny step at a time. You know, if I encroach I, if I encroach on you, and I'm sophisticated about it, I'm going to encroach two millimeters. I'm going to encroach right to the point where you stop, start to protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. Then you're going to calm down. Then I'm going to encroach again right to the point where you protest. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to wait. And I'm just going to do that forever. And before you know it, you're going to be back three miles from where you started, and you'll have done it one step at a time. And then you'll go, oh, how'd I get here? And the answer was, well... I pushed you a little farther than you should have gone, and you agreed. And so then I pushed you a little farther than you should have gone again, and you agreed. And if anybody's interested in this sort of process, and this is a horrifying book, if you want to read about how this process works, you can read a book called Ordinary Men.